Hello and welcome to the Life Church Audio Podcast. We hope that you find these messages encouraging, life-giving, and ultimately get you closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. The, the series is about a man, um, and this guy actually performed more miracles in the Bible than ever any other man except Jesus. That must be a lot. This guy parted the Jordan, crossed over on dry land. He healed lepers. He, um, not leopards. Um, there weren't any in that area. Uh, he uh, brought the dead back to life. He could even tell you what was going on in the bedroom of the king. God used this man tremendously. And, in, and the, the thing that I love about all these men in the Bible, they were ordinary men that God used in a supernatural and extraordinary ways. He was living with his parents until he was an adult, until he finally decided to do something amazing with his life. So for those parents who have their kids still living at home, even though they are adults, there is still hope. There is hope. So his name is Elisha. <laughs> yeah, I'm not looking anywhere specific. Nobody in our worship team or in our tech team. Um, his, na- his name was Elisha. Elisha. Don't be confused with Elijah. Elisha. And we find him, we've introduced him for the first time in 1 Kings. And then we read a lot about him in 2 Kings. Elisha is a guy that went from servant to prophet. But he started as servant. And there's just a message right there. If you, if you want to be, or if you want to grow, if you want to do big things, you got to start with the little things. If you are too big for the little things, it shows me that you're still not ready for the big things. For many of us, serving is little things. It's big in God's eyes. If you cannot be under authority, especially godly authority, you cannot be trusted with more authority, especially godly authority. The thing that made Elisha special And this is what I want to encourage all of you to do is, Elisha stayed close to the man of God, Elijah. If you remember in the the passage of Elijah that we read, um, when it was about um, Elijah passing his mantle on, and he said to, to Elisha, what do you want from me? He said, I want a double portion. He said, well, if you see me go, you will get a double portion. From that day forward, Elisha did not leave the man of God. The other prophets, there were other prophets of God that were being trained. And, and we know in Gilgal, the prophet said to Elisha, stay here. In Bethel, the other prophets of God said, stay here. Don't go after um, Elijah. He's about to die. Don't follow him. In Jericho, the prophet said to him, stay here. Don't follow Elijah. And even crossing the Jordan, they said, don't follow Elijah. Just stay here. And Elisha said, no, I'm staying close to Elijah because I want a double portion in my life. This is significant because in the Old Testament, 
the man of God, the prophets, they represented the word of God. So prophetic, the word prophetic itself, it's not something to be scared of. It means speaking the word of God. So the prophets in the Old Testament spoke on behalf of God. They, they were the mouthpiece of God. For us today, because the prophets in those days, they didn't have Bibles. We have the Bible. We can pick up the Bible and read what God says regarding situations and principles and things that we, we're trying to figure out. We can read the Word of God. But in those days, they didn't have it. The prophets were the Word of God. They were the mouthpieces of God. Now, I want to make a promise to, to all of you. I, I want to make a, um, it's not just a, a promise. It's a statement that I believe so much that it's true that, that I want to say to you that, that you can build your life on this. You can build your life on, if you stay close to the Word of God, you can build your, your home, your family, your children, your business, your health, your future, your plans. You can build, you can build all of those, you can build on this. If you stay close to the Word of God, there will be blessing in your life. There will be. Now, blessing to people looks different. For some people, blessing, if, if we, I think, just focus on material things, would mean more stuff. But blessing is actually the perfect peace of God for the situation and the circumstances that you are in. Blessing is when, even though I'm going through hard things, hardships, difficulties, I know because I am where God wants me to be, I experience blessing in that. I remember picking, uh, just when we moved here, picking cucumbers, pickles. Um, I did it for a day because it was too hard. <laughs> Worst day of my life. Uh, it started early in the morning and it's raining and it's pouring and it's wet and it's cold. And I come from South Africa where we, we don't pick pickles. <laughs> okay, I came from a lifestyle where I don't get in mud. Um, we don't do that. And, and even though I had to do labor that I've never done before, my body wasn't used to it. I remember even being in that field knowing because I am where God wants me to be, the difficulty was still a blessing. And then the test came right after I earned my $90 for the day. Um, went home. Somebody was living with us that was, didn't have a home to live in. And he parked his car illegally on the street. And the bill he had to pay to get his car back was $90. <laughs> now I can go, I can't believe I just worked for $90. And now because he doesn't have money, I have to give it to him. The blessing of it was God provided in the morning for what we needed in the evening. Right? We have to look and understand being in God's perfect place 
It means following God's word and instruction. And sometimes you're going to leave people behind. And sometimes you, you're going to do hard things. Sometimes you're going to labor in areas where you've never labored before. Uh, but man, when you're where God wants you to be, there's no greater place than that. So the key, the, the, the key, the key, sounds like I'm talking with Invisalign. Kaylee just got those. Everything sounds like this. <laughs> She's talking. <laughs> uh, so the key, the key to all of this, stay close to God's word. To all of this, stay close to, close to God's word. God's not going to ask you to do anything outside of his word. So this week, what I want to talk to all of you about, and what I hope that will encourage you, is about a story that we find in 2 Kings chapter 3. And it's about digging ditches and staying close and applying the word, staying close to God. And applying the word doesn't always make sense, but if we do apply it, there is a reward. 2 Kings chapter 3, we have a story um, and, and the challenge that I have for you from this chapter, I hope for the rest of the year and, and as we continue on throughout this year, as we continue to, to preach and, and share God's word, I hope that you will keep on digging ditches. Keep on working the ground. Keep preparing your home. Keep being some, be, be that person that is constantly working at being ready for what God wants to do. Like even where you are right now, just having that mindset of, I want to be a sponge, but not one that's full of me. I want to be a sponge that's drained out, ready to receive whatever God has for me. See, if we're full of us and everything that we've got and settled and everything that we in, if we're full of all of that, it's very hard. Have you ever seen what, what happens to a sponge that's full and you pour more water on it? It can't go in. Um, who said it last? Was it, Ermi, you said about um, Ikea. Yeah, you can move a couch. We're not buying a couch. But if you buy a new couch, you got to make room for which means you've got to get rid of the old stuff. And I really believe that God wants to do new things in our lives. It's, it's we, this morning, the testimony, I want this to become a time of testimony of God continually doing new things. But the only way God's going to continue to do new things in your life is if you are a vessel that's ready to receive. Keep digging ditches. Bish. said that very accurately. Be a sponge, drained. So the, the situation that I'm going to explain to you, um, it's in the first eight verses of this chapter. I'm going to summarize a few, but I, I want to invite you to go read it. it it's a great chapter. Uh, so the first eight verses, what's happening is three kings come together and they have to be together because there's a conflict with Moab. Moab was paying 
or in an agreement, in a covenant with Israel, and in a sense was paying taxes to Israel. Now Moab decided, I no longer want to pay taxes. I no longer want to give any of my resources to Israel. And this created a conflict between Israel and Moab. Um, If you remember about a covenant, so in the Bible, they talk about covenants. The Bible is a covenant. We are in a covenant with God. We are in a grace covenant with God, which means we have undeserved favor. So you have conditional and unconditional covenant. You and I, we are in an unconditional covenant with God. Your salvation is not based on your performance. It's unconditional. Your salvation is based on your acceptance of Christ. Because you've accepted Christ, now all your sins have been paid for. But in the Bible, they have conditional covenants. And the way a covenant would work and the way they would cut a covenant is they would take bulls and rams, they would cut them in half, they would separate the animal. The blood in the middle then, would, what would happen is the two parties would stand at the opposite ends of the two cut up animals and they would walk through the middle of the animals and they would exchange places and what it represented was, I now represent you, you now represent me. And whatever we agreed upon, whatever we said we are going to do for each other, if I break my part of the deal, you have the right to do to me what we just did to these animals and to my family, and to my slaves, and to whomever I am the leader over. So the conflict we have here is, Moab's deciding, I no longer want to stick to our agreement. So Israel, who the agreement was with, went to Judah and to Edom about this problem with Moab. So the scenario is, there is a conflict between groups of people, The three nations, Israel, Judah, and Edom, come together against Moab because everybody took covenant serious. And there's going to be a war. There's going to be a clash. There's going to be a fight. And the kings gathered together now to deal with this problem that they are confronted with. Now, I love love the Bible, and I love how the Bible is just being proven true year after year as they discover more things and after discover more writings. Um, there's actually something that's called the Moabite stone. It's called the Mesha Sleet, which was discovered in 1868. And it contains the Moabite inscriptions that confirms the events that happened in 2 Kings chapter 3. So this is not just a biblical event that happened. It's also confirmed by Moabite scripts that they discovered. I love that. So the Mesha, the Mesha Sleet, tells us about the, the God of, the, of Moab, and his name was Shemosh. Great word to say. And he was angry with his people, and because he was angry with his people, their inscription says that he allowed Moab to become the slaves of Israel and pay taxes towards them. And the word slaves um, subjugated becomes their subjects, becomes uh, being in agreement with them. So this is the situation now. So, so now we are in verse 9, and it says the following. So the king of Israel went to the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they made a circuit of seven days' journey. So first thing, king of Israel goes to Edom, and he goes to the king of Judah, and he says to them, okay, we have to go fight Moab. The king of Judah says, okay, our strategy is going to be, we're going to, we're going to advance from the south. 
We're going to go through the desert, and that's how we're going to attack him. So Jehoshaphat, who is the king of Judah, he tells the king of Israel, this is how we're going to go into combat. So then they started walking, and it says, and they made a circuit of seven days' journey. Now, this journey that they were on was basically going through the desert, desert places. And there was no water for the army and for the cattle that followed them. Now, the cattle didn't just follow them. If you were wondering, that's weird. Why do cattle follow armies? It's food. To all you vegans, vegetarians, you couldn't fight in God's army if you couldn't like another cow. No. That's a little sub point. Here we go. So there was no way for them to battle. And, and this is important to understand. There's no way to battle without water. You can't battle without it. Now they already had one fight that was coming towards them. Already one battle coming, Moab. And now on their way to go to that battle, suddenly what happens? There's another problem. Another battle that is even greater than Moab that they have to face. There has been a drought. There's been a dry spell. And there's no water for the soldiers. And there's no water for the cattle. So they're going to die in the desert. So one problem, Moab, has now become two problems. No water. And we all know that water is essential for life. The Bible also regularly talks about, in the Scripture, it talks about what the water is for us. The water is life to us. It speaks about the Holy Spirit being the fountain of life. It's like living water, right? So we know water is significant spiritually, but we know that water is definitely needed physically. How can you fight and be refreshed if you have no water? So the king of Israel, Jehoram, said in verse 10, <laughs> Alas! What's the modern English word for that? Because we don't say alas anymore. Oh no. Oh shoot. <laughs> for the Lord has caused these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. So, so, so here's the king of Israel and what he says is alas. We are in the desert. We've been traveling for seven days. There's no water. We've got no water. There's nothing. It's dry. There's nothing to drink. We have to go fight an army. Us three kings came together, and it was God's plan for us to die. So this is the king of Israel who says that. God has put us in a hot mess. God has brought us together to beat an enemy. And we're going to die even before we see the enemy. Have you ever felt like that? God has set you up. Because this is exactly how they felt. They felt that they were set up for defeat. They felt like, hey, I'm out here. God, I'm going to try and fight and just keep like... I want to do the stuff that you're saying I'm supposed to do. We know, God, you control the rain. This is, this is what Jehoram is saying. God, you control the rain. You control the water. Where is God when I, when I am in a drought? God, where are you? You are the one that control all of that. God, I, I need something in my life, whatever it might be in your life. So the king of Israel says, God has set us up to fail. God has set us up for defeat. 
And for you, it might feel like, God, I'm busy applying your principles. I've made a decision this year. I'm going to carry my cross, which means I'm going to live by your word. I'm going to do things the way you say I should do things. I'm going to, I started applying them and now things are getting harder for me. And I used to have one problem. Now I've got four problems. There is no water. I feel like I'm without life and God, I want to blame you for it. There are many people who blame God for things that he's got nothing to do with. So Jehoshaphat, I really like this king. Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. Now Israel is the northern kingdom. Judah is the southern kingdom. So Jehoram said, God set us up to fail. God, you brought us here for us to die. But then Jehoshaphat comes and he speaks and he says, Is there not a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? Great counsel right there. Is there not somebody that we know that has a reputation of hearing from God? I don't want to just hear from you, Jehoram. I want to hear from somebody who we know, a prophet that speaks on God's behalf. And then one of the, the servants of the Israel's king said, Elisha, the son of Shepath, is here who used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. So Elisha used to serve Elijah. So Jehoshaphat says, I know, Jehoram, that you want to blame God for what we are in, but I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to listen to your counsel. I want to talk to somebody who knows God. Because when I'm in a drought and my world is falling apart and it looks like I'm going to be defeated and there's nothing to sustain me, is there not somebody who can hear from God to tell us what we are to do? Like I want to hear from God what I'm supposed to do in this situation. Who can inquire of the Lord, who can get some information from heaven for our situation right here on earth. He said, I needed somebody in this particular situation who can bring clarity. God, I, we, we don't just want, I don't just want a, a sermon. I want clarity about this situation that has got physical, there, there's some physical outcome that can happen during this. And I want to know if this is you or not. I need to find out what God is up to in allowing the situation to transpire in my life. Have you ever wondered that? God, I am in something right now. Like this, this, this conflict, there might be a difficulty, there might be some challenges in your marriage, in, in your, um, with your children, in your home, with your business, at your office. God, I'm in this thing and I need, I need wisdom. I don't just want, oh, biblical, you know, I know sometimes we can, you know, there, there's a, there's a, Great story about uh, Enri's mom that had a lady in a life group uh, whose son was a heroin addict. Um, and she came to, to Helter and said to Helter, um, what should I do with my son? And she said, just speak, God, just speak the word over him. That all you need, start speaking God's word over him. Um, so <laughs> a few weeks later, the lady came back and said, this is not working at all. <laughs> like, it's not working. And she says, what do you mean? Tell me what you're doing. She says, well, every time I see him, I say, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3. <laughs> right? So she's quoting the scripture verses where it's at. 
And she says, no, what I want you to do is, I don't just want you to speak a scripture. I want you to speak a rhema word. A rhema word is the word of God that's brought to life. In other words, a rhema word is not, you get the logos word, which is the written word. A rhema word is that written word that has now produced something in your heart that's going to bring life in somebody else's life. So then she said, what I want you to do is I want you to look at your son and I want you to see him as God sees him. Speak the plans of God over him, but in a language and in a way that he understands what you are saying. So a son would sit at the breakfast table with his head in his cereal, high on heroin, and she would start speaking to him about the man of God that he's been called to be, about the husband he's going to be for his wife, about the father he's going to be to his children, about he's going to be a man that's going to lead other people out of their addictions. Two months later, the kid completely out of addiction because God's word is powerful. So, so this guy is saying, listen, I, I don't just want a word. I want a word from God. I want a prophetic word for the situation. Is there a prophet? And Stephen said, yes, well, there is. There's a prophet. His name's Elisha, servant of Elijah. He says, Elisha is nearby. So Jehoshaphat said the following, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel, Jehoram, and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom, now because they recognize there is a prophet that has the word of the Lord, he has a reputation of following Elijah. Now Elijah in Israel under that kingdom was the one where he was chased around a lot. In Judah, he wasn't chased under Jehoshaphat. So Jehoshaphat has no relationship with Elijah or Elisha. His first introduction to Elisha is in this situation. He's never met him before, knows nothing about him. So he says, okay, so now we are going to go down to that guy because the word of the Lord is with him. And he's going to give us clarity about God's purposes and plans for us physically. Are you in a physical situation or circumstance right now? So he says, what you need to do is you need to get the word of the Lord for that situation, not just a general word. So we want clarity. God, is it your will for us to die here? Because I'm convinced Joseph had served God. He would have said, God, if that is your will, if that's what you're saying to us, that's what we'll do. So if you're in a drought right now, if you're in a battle right now, in your life, in your world, with your career, with your finances, with your family, with your husband, with your wife, with your future, with the battles, if there is a war. In other words, every place you are looking is dry. Every place you are looking is empty. Every place you look, there's nothing. There's nothing that feels like, okay, at least it's, you know, there's something that looks like it. Like I've been in situations like that before where it feels like there's nothing. Uh, sometimes you feel like, oh, at least there's one little piece of grass that's sticking its head out and you, that might give me hope. But I know there's some of you that have nothing right now. It feels like there's no hope. If that's you, I want to say to you, you need a prophetic word. You need something that will zero in where you are and what you are dealing with. You need some clarification. So now Elisha, <laughs> Elisha shows up and Elisha says 
to the king of Israel. Now, I want you to watch. This is so great. It's actually quite, it's funny, but it's serious also. In verse 13, so now the three kings show up to Elisha, right? Three, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, the king of Edom, shows up to Elisha, stand in front of Elisha. And Elisha is like, what do I have to do with you? Now, there's three kings that went down. Jehoshaphat, the king of Edom, and Jehoram. But he only turns to Jehoram, the king of Israel. And he said, why are you here? Get out of my face, if I have to translate it. Speak to the hand, the face is not listening. That is the extent. He's offending the king of Israel. Like, I want nothing to do. Why are you even here? I don't want to see you. Move on. I don't mind talking to these other two guys, but you, why are you here? Now, if we go back a verse or a few verses, it explains to us why Elisha is so passionate about Jehoram. In verse 1, it says, Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became the king of Israel and Samaria. Beginning of verse 2, it says, And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. In verse 3, it says, Nevertheless, he clung to the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, which he had made Israel sin. So Nabat made Israel sin. Jehoram clung to the sins of Jeroboam that made Israel sin. And he did not depart from them. So let me tell you about Jehoram. Jehoram's daddy was Ahab. Remember Ahab? And his mom, Jezebel. So his mom and dad was Ahab and Jezzy. That's a great couple right there. They went about killing all the prophets of God. They raised up more Baal prophets. They, they tried to wipe God's prophets out. Tried to wipe out the word of the Lord. See, when the world comes against the church, you know what it will attack? The word of the Lord. Because what are the prophets? The mouthpiece of God. So when the world comes against the church, it comes against the word. It will come in contradiction to what the word says because that's the purpose of the world is to wipe out the word of the Lord. So Ahab and Jezzy tried to do that. They had Elijah. I mean, they tried to kill him for years. He had to run for his life. And Elijah said, it's like father and like a son. Same guy. I know your daddy and your mom, and you are just as bad as them. In verse 13, Elisha says to him, Go to the prophets of your father and to the prophets of your mother. And the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to give them into the hands of Moab. So Jehoram, who has no relationship with God, is standing in front of the Word of God, telling the Word of God, God's purpose is to kill us. So this is what will happen to you also. People who have no idea of the Word will come and tell you what the Word is saying about the Word. That is so true. 
He says, why are you coming to me? Why don't you go back to the people, to the prophets that your mom and dad believed in? Why don't you go back to your false gods? But now he's with the king of Judah and he's with the king of Edom. And I do think that Jehoram, Jehoram is, is like a lot of people that we know today. Uh, we call them emergency worshipers. Because there's a crisis, right? He's in a crisis. He's in a drought. He's in a crisis. Situation. Situation he can't fix. He can't do anything about water falling from the sky. He's in a problem that he can't resolve. So now, now because finally, you know, well, now I'm going to need God for something. So now I'm going to go to church. Now I'm going to quickly try and do what the Bible says. It's, it's, it's quite ironic. We have people that we counsel and they would come and they would start talking about their lifestyle and what they're doing and uh, don't serve God, but they want you to counsel them on what God wants them to do. It's like, I, like, can you see it? Like, it makes no sense. And we all know people who's gone through that and that you have probably in your family. You don't believe that God is true, yet you want God to do something about your situation. So Elisha says in verse 14, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I love this phrase, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand. That, that whom I stand uh, can be better explained as I don't just visit. I don't just visit him on occasions. Before whom I stand is he is my lifestyle. I don't just go to him on Sunday mornings before whom I stand. This is where I live. I, I regard the presence of God. I, I seek it out. I desire it. I stand in his presence daily. So he goes, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. If it wasn't for Jehoshaphat, I wouldn't even pay attention to you. The only reason I'm talking to you is because Jehoshaphat is here, the godly king of Judah. So you're going to get the benefit of a saint in your midst. That's why the Bible says that this scripture is so powerful. The presence of the righteous affects the condition of of the wicked. The presence of the righteous confects the condition of the wicked. Affects. So, so, so your presence at the office has an influence on how that business is doing. Your prayer has an influence over your marriage. For those of you that are married and the other person is not a believer, you have an influence over the blessing that's in your home because you are there. You carry God's presence where you go. And we see that this prophet saying, the only reason I'm talking to you is because you are in the presence of somebody else who's seeking right standing with God. While others are scared and running in fear, you bring peace. You bring rest. So because Jehoshaphat is here, I'm going to answer your question. And, uh, and it's going to bless you. In verse 15, they want to know, is there a word from God about the crisis of the water? That's the question that they have. So Elijah says, 
but now bring me a minstrel. And it came about when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. When you read that, you go, I don't think we have those today. What he's saying is, is there anybody here that has a guitar? Is there anybody here with a piano or an organ or a harp? Is there a musician in the vicinity? The prophet asked for a worship leader. Now bring me a worship leader. Now I want to say to all of you, you can show up here for a sermon and I promise you during the week and weeks, I prepare really to hear from God that he want, what He wants to say to us um, as a body, where He wants to lead us, how He wants to lead you. But if you show up for a sermon, you'll get a sermon. You will get it. Their situation didn't need a sermon. They needed a prophetic word. A prophetic word is God speaking personally into your situation. So in other words, for them to get a prophetic word, what Elisha is saying is, we're going to have to worship. I want to worship first. He creates an atmosphere for God to speak to him personally and directly. He creates a situation where his focus is not just on sharing what God has said in the past to other people that he has ministered to. But he wants to create an atmosphere where God can share with me right now what he wants to share with you. And he says it's in worship. The purpose of music in worship is not simply to be a prelude to the sermon. You should be so focused on being here at 10 o'clock. And this is not just a fun to, for everybody to be here on time. But you should desire, it should almost be like, I can't enter into the sermon without being in the worship. I have to press in. Worship is you. We are surrounded by people worshiping with us. But it's you in your personal adoration, your personal way of opening up to God. I was standing at the back in the worship this morning, and my focus is God, your goodness is running after me. And, it, and in singing the songs, my focus is on Him and my heart is opened up. And as I do that, God ministers and He speaks to us personally. So that when I can get to preach, when I get to the sermon, when I speak a word, God's prepared your heart in the worship for the word that you're going to receive in the sermon. So you are the one that determines how much you're going to get in? It's not just the worship team. We have, um, we have Ken, Corey, they moved to Florida, and he called me last week, and he said, well, you know what? You've ruined me. I said, what do you mean? He said, you have ruined me, ruined me. We've been to three churches. He says, and, and we've walked in, and um, he said, I'm not a music guy. I said, but, and they, they probably sing okay. He said, but just that atmosphere when we walk into life church and the effort you put in to make the band and the music and the lights and everything an atmosphere where worship becomes easy. I've been ruined for other churches. 
Thank you, worship team and Bish and Carla and everybody who's involved in that. Because you make worship easy in this place. Worship is easy here. Amen? So if you want a prophetic word, which is a rhema word. So, so, so this word that I'm speaking now, this can be a rhema word to you if your heart is ready. If you worshiped, this could be a rhema word to you, a prophetic word. So we need to be in the atmosphere of worship. It's, it's not you and your wife together. I can't hold Umri's hand when we're worshiping. I can because I like her. But for me, in worship, it's not about the two of us holding hands. Although when you're young and you're dating somebody and you, that's, I mean, some of the best places to date is in church because you get to hold hands. Um, it's like you're praying, right? No. Use it, don't use it, all the singles. Um, so, but for me in worship, this is not me in ordinary time. This is me in God time. My focus is there. Understand? This makes sense. And it's not just for, oh, this is such a great atmosphere. No, this is me singing to God about Him, about great He is. But as I'm doing that, my spirit is saying, oh, God, speak to me today. Do in me the work that you want to do. Reveal more of yourself. You are great. I want to know more about you. What are the plans that you have for me? What are the plans that you have for the service? I pray for the service a lot during the time. What are the plans that you have for the service? Where do you want it to go? So I want to encourage you in our worship. Be a worshiper. It's an atmosphere that God has given us in His Word to create a place where people can worship Him. So He goes on. After He worshiped and He created an atmosphere to speak, He says in verse 16, Now He received the Word from God. And this is what's so amazing about this. I'm almost done. He said, Thus says the Lord, Make this valley full of trenches. I want you to dig ditches. Trenches. Ditches. Holes. Make this valley full of them. Fill it up. Make holes everywhere. Trenches everywhere. For this is what God says. Now I want you to think about this. So God, three kings come to the prophet, says to the prophet, we need a word, we need water. Like we need water. We've got a physical problem. So Elisha steps up. And there are a million things that he could have said to them. But he tells them to dig holes. To which I'm thinking, the question was, does God want us to die in this valley? And we have to dig holes. Are we making our own graves? Because remember, you've got armies of Israel who's not serving God. You've got people there that, that don't know God's heart or mind for them. So suddenly now you've got people who are without water and they have to labor in the sun in the desert. Basically, dig your own grave. But this is what's so amazing about a prophetic word. This is the strategy right now. 
Next time, if you use that strategy, it's not going to work. For when God is dealing with you in a situation, you have to get the word for him for right now. Not for what he did last month. Oh, this is how he did it last time. I'm just going to do that again. No, for today. For what he wants to do in your situation today. He says, what God told me to tell you is to dig plenty of ditches in a valley. Now, a valley is a low place. Lowest place you can be. So you are in a war. There is no water. You are low. You are without hope. And I want you to dig ditches because I want to fill the valley with them. So he gets this specific word. So now this is the part that I really love. And it might seem weird to them because he goes on in verse 17. He says, for thus says the Lord. <laughs> You're digging ditches. Now, he's still not answering the question to them. Thus says the Lord, you shall see no wind, nor shall you see rain. Oh, well, that seals it. It's graves, <laughs> right? You shall see no wind. You shall see no rain. But then he goes on. Yet the valley shall be filled with water so that you shall drink both you and your cattle and your beasts. So God is saying, you ask me, what is God's situation, solution for the water that we need because we are busy dying? So what God said is, dig ditches, fill the valley with them. Fill the valley with it, not just a few. Dig as many as you can. And then what's going to happen is there's going to be no wind. Because if there was wind and while you're digging and you think, oh yeah, when the southeastern picks up, that means the clouds are coming. Wind means hope. There'll be no wind, no breeze to cool you off while you're digging your ditch. And then he says, there will be no rain. It's not even that there's going to be a future. Oh yeah, we're digging because the rain's falling. That's why I'm digging, right? It makes sense. He said, it'll be none of that. But once you've dug your ditches, God's going to fill them. That takes steps of faith. And then I love the last part of it. He says, and this ain't hard. This ain't hard. You know why he told them to dig ditches? Because he wanted them to make room for God. When we do things in faith, that's where God steps in. He says, and this is not going to be hard for God. This, this is not going to be a thing at all. So they were thinking, you mean you're going to tell me that we have to dig ditches? The plains are going to fill up with water. We're going to be able to feed our cattle. We're going to be able to drink. And then we're going to be able to defeat Moab. You mean to tell me that I'm not only, only um, asking God, are we going to have water? Um, God is saying, yes, you will have water. Dig ditches. There's no rain. There's no wind coming. But you will have more water than you need based on how much faith you put out in the, the ditches that you've prepared. And this is the last point that I want to make. I want you to notice. You have to dig the ditches. 
many of us have this mindset where we get a word from God about what He wants us to do and we go, yes, Lord, dig ditches. Okay, God, you can start doing it anytime now. Lord, just start digging, Lord. <laughs> God, just start, start digging the ditch. God's like, no, no. You have to dig the ditch. You have to prepare the ground. You have to make the room for Him. You have to take the step of faith. And God says what you need, that ain't a hard thing. Make the valley full of them. And then it says, and it happened in the morning, verse 20. By the time of the offering of the sacrifices, they behold water came by the way of Edom, and the country was filled with water. Worship team, you can come up. Um, let me explain something to you. Don't box God in. Don't predetermine on how God is going to do something in your life. God is in a working relationship. Ernie and I, when we got married, <laughs> we did those personality test things. How many of you, before you got married, did the personality test? Some of you? Yeah. We had a 96% chance that our marriage will end in divorce. Because of our personality, personality smallers than mine. Um, but we have survived. No. It's like one of the worst things you should tell a competitive person is that you've got a 96% chance that you're going to fail. It's like, <laughs> you knew how to set me up to make you prove you wrong. Um, but in those things, we, we did the love languages. How many of you have ever done the love language thing? Yeah. So... Love languages, right? So, so you go when you're young and married and you do love languages. And most men, the five love languages are physical touch, gifts, um, acts of service, words of affirmation, quality time. Most men, when they do love languages, when they just get married, the highest ranking one is quality time. <laughs> no. <laughs> See, you all knew I was joking right there, right? Yeah. Highest one was physical touch, right? So, so we did our thing, physical touch, um, words of affirmation, second highest for men, words of affirmation, which, which is very biblical, right? Respect and honor. When God speaks to the wife, He speaks about respect and honor your husband. So, so words of affirmation, um, acts of service, Mostly, third one for men. Gifts, fourth one for men. And guess what has a resounding last place? Quality time. Men are like, we just had physical touch. That's quality time. What are you talking about? <laughs> right? It's like, I don't get it. So, so what happened is we, we did ours and mine kind of lined up exactly like that. <laughs> that was, I was the typical man in my love language. And Ermery's were different. Hers were quality time. Uh, physical touch, physical touch. And she, like she got it three times. I don't know how that's even possible. Uh, but it was, way, <laughs> it was way lower on the charts, right? So, so, so then we got married and we moved to Canada and, and we, we, um, we had physical touch was second on, on her ranking. Quality time was first, physical touch. Acts of service was lower. Gifts were, were, were like the lowest. We got married, we had our first child. 
And the love languages is not for you to know how I feel loved. It's for you to know how your wife feels loved. It is so that I know how do I fill up her bucket. Like each one of us have a love bucket. And we empty it out during the day. So now my role as the husband is to make sure husbands love your wives. So I need to do everything I can to make sure that her love bucket is full because it's part of the husband's role, part of what I'm supposed to do. It's part of my function as a husband. And I take great joy and honor in doing that. So we had our first child and I kept trying to, to, to fill Umri's love bucket with what when we were married. And it wasn't working. And we redid the, the test. And suddenly, physical touch that was second moved to last place. I'm thinking, oh, I'm doing something wrong. Right? This is not working. And acts of service moved from last place into second place. Because what happened is in relationship, we change. Suddenly, she has a son who's breastfeeding every day. So the physical aspect of wanting to be touched was actually just leave me alone. I need some alone time. See, we, we uh, thank you. I'm glad for sharing. Um, <laughs> what I want you to get in this is that if we just go based on when we were married, your relationship today will be in trouble. You are growing. And the same way with God, God wants to instruct you on a daily basis on the plans and the purposes and the way He wants you to do it today. The way you're going to speak to a person, the way I want you to confront this problem today, the way I want you to approach your wife today. God wants to be involved in that every single day. He doesn't just want you to go to Him once and now we're done. Don't box God in. He's too big for that. And the plans that He has for you are amazing. So in two weeks time from now, we're going to continue on with the life of Elisha. And the purpose of this whole series is for us to get to a place where I can daily hear from God about the miracles that He wants to do in my life. Now we're going to worship one song. In this song, Enter in. And by entering in, I know some people, we sometimes use words in church that we don't always understand. Entering in simply means step into a place where it's you and God and saying, God, I'm here for you. I'm here to worship you. Speak to me. Whatever you want to say. Amen. Let's worship together. Thank you so much for joining us on the Life Church Audio Podcast. If this message spoke to you, go ahead and share it with your friends and family. And let's get the Word of God into the lives of more people out there. For more information about us, go to thisislifechurch.com. And remember that we can make a difference by loving people.